Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Doug Anderson here with Austin Cunningham, Justin Treese, and Riley O'Brien. And today, we're talking football. Today we're going to be starting a new segment called The War Room. You'll be joining us into the heated arguments of some of the hottest prospects in the upcoming draft. We'll also be talking about our sophomore standouts and tipping our hat to Gronk as he decided to end his career this past weekend. We also will be interviewing editor-in-chief and writer at Lion Lowdown, Logan Lamarandier. First of all, though, Logan, thanks for uh, coming on our show. We definitely appreciate it, man. We'll have uh, some pretty good conversations with you. Um, I'm actually really interested to hear some of your takes on the Lions because we don't, like, Riley's our host, or one of the hosts, of course, and uh, we don't really talk too much about the Lions, even though that's his favorite team. We tend to talk about the Jags, Chiefs, the Browns, everything else NFL-related, but not the Lions. <laughs> we don't have knowledgeable <laughs> Lions football talk here, so you were hey, my first guest well, to ask. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I'll talk all the Lions I can. There you go. All right, on well, one of our uh, first questions for you actually comes from Twitter at um, Gullet underscore James. He wants to know where do you think the Lions will go with their draft pick at eight? They have signed free agents in their biggest areas of need, like defensive end, tight end, corner, and all players who are under 27 years of age. They still need a right guard and linebacker. But is there a player worthy of a top 10 pick in those positions? <laughs> Yeah, so James actually he he writes a little bit at the Lion Lowdown, so I got to give a shout out to him. Oh heck um, yeah! No, he's a good he's a good dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, with the the free agent signings, yes, they they filled needs, but I don't really think that precludes the Lions from taking any individual at that eighth spot, especially because that defensive side of the ball is so top heavy. There's so many good players uh, that I could see the Lions going after at at pick eight and. Really, you can never have enough pass rushers. Um, I've been on the Brian Burns train for a while with the Lions. I don't necessarily know if that's who Bob Quinn, the Lions GM, will feel is the best fit because uh, he is a little smaller. But um, Trey Flowers is more of your traditional down defensive end, whereas Brian Burns would be kind of that hybrid linebacker outside that jack position that the Lions have. And Devon Kennard is a nice player, but he isn't anything – special when it comes to rushing the passer he's a good solid role player and yet he was one of the bigger free agent signings the Lions had last year but Kennard is still you know he's only making six million dollars a year so I don't think he's necessarily supposed to be the guy he's just a, a solid foundational piece and so anywhere you can along the line the pass rush I don't think it's gonna hurt but you just look at that you know the eighth spot and the Lions have a hole at right guard and I don't, I don't think there's any guard or lineman I would even take at eight in this draft. So it, it does come, you know, there's that position of need, but also you have to balance it out with the best value. And I think that value is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Another position could be linebacker, uh, Devin White. There's mixed reviews on him. I'm not a huge fan of him. Uh, he's a lot like Jared Davis, who the Lions already have. I feel like they're clones of each other. They're both very athletic. Uh Davis over pursues and misses gaps a lot. And you see that although both uh, Devin White and Jared Davis are very aggressive in their style of play, they do tend to be over aggressive sometimes. They don't always read the proper gaps and the Lions defense is so predicated on being in the right gap and gap control 
all their defensive linemen they have up front. You know, they, they run like a two-gap system. So I don't know if it'd be necessarily a good fit. Now, you'll look at the potential of having Devin White and Jared Davis. That would be a scary duo just because they can fly the ball. You're not going to beat them to the outside to pursuit. You know, they're going to get the pursuit, but sometimes they just over-pursue. They're so aggressive. So there's, if I had to, to guess, I still feel like the value is going to be at defensive line or that edge spot, and the Lions can always use an upgrade there. So I personally, I think it'll be defensive line for the Lions. Um, not that I'm a diehard Lions follower, but in regards to the D-line, though, in this draft, there's plenty of talent. In the first round, I just feel like people are just going to race to get the top-tier player at whatever pick they have. So I like that. For sure. For sure. All right, Logan, I got your next question for you. And I know this might not pertain to the Lions themselves since they already have a franchise quarterback in Stafford. But um, if you were a GM of a team and you needed a quarterback, would you go after someone like Haskins and Murray this year? Or would you take the route that it kind of seems like the Dolphins are taking this year in the sense of let's just get a bridge guy and try to wait it out until next year? You know, I really don't mind if the Dolphins were to do that, you see a lot of the most successful rookie quarterbacks, they usually come into a team that already has a lot of pieces in place. They have a lot of draft picks that they've compiled, like good uh, potential type players. And then when these rookie quarterbacks come in or these younger quarterbacks, they're put in a good situation. Now, it depends on what team like you said, I don't think the Lions necessarily would be looking at quarterback. I know there's some reports out there, and there's there's plenty of Stafford haters out there that would say the Lions should draft a quarterback. But I don't know from a Lions perspective that drafting a quarterback would really make much of a difference, and the cap hit to get rid of Stafford would be so great. I don't think it would make a lot of sense, at least not this year. Now, for other teams, if you look at like last year's draft class for the quarterbacks, I would say – I don't even know if Murray or Haskins would be in the top three. And so I know every year these quarterbacks get pushed up to the top, no matter how good they are. And yes, Tyler Murray is a very interesting prospect. He's, he's a little guy, but he has the arm. He can, he kind of fits today's mold of the, the mobile quarterbacks that can still run. And, you know, you can't really hit quarterbacks anymore. So you don't have to worry about them getting injured. And there's been guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees who are on the shorter side and they still have found success in the league. So I would understand uh, someone liking Murray, but again, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys who really turns around a franchise, and especially if he goes to a team, say, like the Cardinals, maybe with Cliff Kingsbury, he could really do well in his system. But, you know, Rosen struggled last year, and I thought Rosen was a pretty solid prospect. So I I'm not super hyped up on the quarterbacks in this year's draft. So it, it all depends on where you're at as a team. Like I said, the Dolphins, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that they might hold off for a year and try to build up some talent. Kind of what like the Browns did where they, they had all these high draft picks and they now have this team and they insert Baker Mayfield now into that team and they make a few moves. They have cap space and all of a sudden they're looking like, you know, division favorites and they're trending up. And so I would prefer if I was going to draft a quarterback to have a team or a young core already in place. And that way you can really, uh, you have five years of the first round rookie quarterback on a cheap deal. If you already have a team in place, you're going to have five years of having a cheap quarterback 
and you should have five years of making a solid run. So I, I understand what the Dolphins were doing, and I kind of agree with that uh, so far this year with considering the quarterbacks that are available. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't considered uh, how do Haskins and Murray stack up to last year's quarterbacks. Would you take either over Baker if you needed a quarterback? No, I I really liked Baker Mayfield last year. Uh, you just saw his accuracy, and it, people didn't give him enough credit for his arm strength. Being a, a smaller, you know, six-foot quarterback, people don't assume he has a strong arm, but he has a really strong arm, and he puts the ball in, in tight windows. I know that Oklahoma offense, he had a lot of wide-open guys he was thrown to, but even in those tight window throws, he was still putting them in there. And he, he just kind of has – that swag of a leader you could just tell he wants to be a leader I don't I haven't seen that from Kyler Murray Dwayne Haskins being a one-year starter as well I just don't know and that's something that we're not really privy to 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 see the leadership qualities of these guys but I just felt like Baker Mayfield was a, a great leader and he had all the tools and the only really knock on him I felt like was his size but as we've already talked about that that's kind of old school NFL where size is a big deal when it comes to quarterbacks. As long as these quarterbacks have big hands and they can, you know, really grasp the ball, you don't have to worry about them fumbling. And as long as they can spin the ball and they're accurate and they can throw it, I'm, I'm fine with it. So Baker Mayfield, I would have over both those guys. Hey, go Baker Mayfield, right? <laughs> Doug, <laughs> I knew you would like that, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of franchise quarterbacks, let's talk about Matthew Stafford. I'm a huge Stafford fan. You mentioned there's uh, Stafford haters. I don't understand it. I think he's a very, very good quarterback. I feel like when he, he's he's one of those players, when he's on the field, your team has a chance to win. Do you foresee the Lions ever playing in a Super Bowl with Stafford under center? Uh, you know, with the Lions pass, it's so easy to say no. But I, I – Last year was a bad year for Stafford. I'll give him that. I've been a big Stafford supporter, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat. Last year was not a good year for him, but you've it, seen him in was. years past. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a good look, and it just fueled the fire for everyone who said it was time to move on from Stafford. And I understand when you have a quarterback for 10 years and he doesn't have a playoff win, at a certain point, you know, it's, it's the definition of insanity where you keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But you just look at so often Stafford's compared to these younger quarterbacks that come in and have success instantly. And so many of these quarterbacks that come in and have instant success are because they're put around a team that they have a running game. Not once has Stafford ever had a top half rushing unit in the league. And then outside of 2014, the defense has really been you know, so-so last year, the Lions put together a good defense towards the end of the year. I'm not totally convinced at this point, though, that their defense was great. I, I feel like it was more so a product that teams really didn't have to score a bunch of points, didn't have to move the ball because of the offensive struggles. And with Stafford, if he has another down year like he had last year, it really wouldn't surprise me if they tried to move him or move on from him just because of the nature of the league. Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, they would firmly be on the hot seat if he has another down year. And the only way I feel like they could justify them sticking around is saying, oh, we need a new quarterback. Oh, like, let us rebuild. And at that point, I, I think it would be a full rebuild. But I firmly believe that Stafford, he's, he's not Tom Brady. He's not going to be a guy who can just carry teams. But he's definitely capable of 
leading a good roster on a deep playoff run. And if whether it be the Super Bowl, I mean, it takes a lot of things to line up perfectly to get in the Super Bowl. You have to have a great draft class, like back-to-back at least a couple of years. You have to have some solid free agent acquisitions that come in and outperform their contracts. You have to have a lot of things go right. And I feel like Bob Quinn is moving in the right direction. Uh, he's had some solid draft class, but he still he hasn't drafted a pro bowler yet. Maybe that can change soon. Hopefully it does. But it's it's just one of those things where at a certain point, it's like Stafford needs to start winning some big games. And it doesn't, it doesn't always come down to him. He's shown a lot where he's carried these teams in the past. We just we keep saying it every year. There needs to be some supporting casts around him. And, um, you know, it, it's a struggle to keep trying to promote Stafford and say that he can win when he hasn't shown it yet. But I'm still on his side. I still believe he can do it. And I know there's plenty of people who disagree with that, but I know there's plenty of people on my side too. So it's just, it's getting to the point now where, you know, you have to make something happen. It is. That's a huge reason why I'm so excited for this upcoming season. So tell us in a year from now, is he still the guy? Yeah. I, I think Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, considering the moves that they made early in free agency, uh, Bob Quinn has never been one of those GMs to go out and spend big money on the first day. And the Lions are one of the most active teams this year in free agency. I feel like he has a sense of urgency this year. Uh, the way they backloaded all their free agency contracts, too, you know, with their big free agency contracts of uh, Trey Flowers, Justin Coleman, Jesse James. Those are three big names that the Lions paid. And they only account for 12 million of the salary cap this year. So they're, they're backloaded. So I, the Lions have some cap space. I feel like they're trying to make something happen this year. And given with the moves that they're making, I think it's going to be a nice turnaround year. And if Stafford and the Lions are back in that playoff hunt, you, it, again, it wouldn't make sense to move on from, yes, next year, after next year, the, you know, the cap hit to move Stafford wouldn't be as much. If you traded him next year, it'd only be $20 million of dead cap, which is still a lot but it's not the worst right. thing in the world either. But I, I do feel that Stafford is still going to be on the team next year because I don't believe he's going to have back-to-back poor seasons like he had last year. Perfect. So uh, real quick here, Logan. First of all, thank you for uh, coming on. We do appreciate it again. Um, you know, kind of like you said with Stafford here, you don't expect him to have back-to-back years that are poor. Um, what are you, kind of your expectations for him this next season, along with the carry-on Johnson and a Kenny Galladay? Well, it's a little bit different this year because we have a new offensive coordinator in Daryl Bevel, and he's known for having a strong rushing attack and run first, but maybe that's just because he had Marshawn Lynch and Adrian Peterson in their prime. And uh, so obviously, carry on Johnson. He is uh, he's a great back, but I don't think he's Marshawn Lynch or Adrian Peterson. Um, and with Bob Quinn's remarks that talking about that he doesn't feel like carry on is a true workhorse uh yes carry on is a good three down back he can do everything he can catch the ball he can pass block decently well um and then he's very explosive and you saw that last year's rookie year especially when you compare him to like Garrett Blunt it was night and day difference um but you know carry on only weighed around 203 pounds last year during the season so I wouldn't really want to give him or would I feel comfortable him being that true workhorse like Marshawn Lynch 
before Adrian Peterson were under Daryl Bevel. And so with Daryl Bevel now coming in, you, you kind of wonder what this offense is going to look like, if they're going to try to still, I imagine they're still trying to be a, a run first team and take a few deep shots. And you looked at the last year, uh, Russell Wilson and Daryl Bevel had together. Uh, that was the non, the no Marshawn year. They had moved on from him at that point and retired. And, you know, Russell Wilson started taking quite a few deep shots and they were kind of calculated. They were still a run based team, but they like to push the ball down the field. And I think that's kind of what the Stafford led offense is going to be under Bevel this year. He's where they're going to try to establish a run, but they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be afraid to take shots down the field, especially when you have, you know, Marvin Jones, who's, uh, not a true speedster, but he's great at contested catches, especially deep. Just two years ago, he, was one of the, he had one of the highest uh, passer ratings when target on deep passes. So I, I think they're going to take some shots, but at the same time, they are going to be a little bit more calculated and have, uh, you know, try to sustain some longer drives. So it's, I don't know if Stafford's going to put up huge numbers, but if it equates to wins, that's really the only thing that's going to matter. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see it kind of the results from everything going on with the off season, the lions, everything going on in the new year. I know for me, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited to see what the, the Browns can do, <laughs> which earlier <laughs> yeah, we talked you about, be, you should be pretty pumped up. Dude, they're, they're looking good. I'm more than pumped up. Like I need these next few months to just fly by, you know, kind of talking about, you talked about the Browns, you know, being favored, for their division, which I am all aboard on. I think they are too. But last week we discussed our division winners for this next coming season. Um, It even got hostile at one point with Treese and Austin now having to make a bet to who's going to win between the Chiefs or the Chargers. But what are some of your division predictions for who's going to be on top? Yeah, so I I focused a ton of the Lions. I know there's a lot of moving pieces in the league right now, but uh, I'll start in the AFC. The AFC North with what the Steelers, you know, losing Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. It seems like any running back they always have always does well, but I just feel like, you know, it, it might be a down year for them just because of the offseason drama. So I am, you look at the Ravens, I'm not convinced that that offense, even with Mark Ingram now, is going to be anything special I think Lamar Jackson has some limitations and teams are gonna be able to stack the box they lost some key defensive pieces and you know the the Bengals are still the Bengals are floating around so yeah I, I do like the Browns I think they can be the favorites <laughs> that's right there you go <laughs> um as far as the east goes that's easy the Patriots I'm never gonna be in for Michigan and Tom Brady I I thought the last five years and like eventually you know, something, the age is going to catch up with Brady, but it hasn't. So uh, that division's improving, but I still going with the Patriots. Now the AFC South, um, I, the Colts, I still feel like it's the Colts. Um, I know even with Nick Foles now in Jacksonville and they still have a solid defense, Nick Foles, I'm, I'm not sure if that magic is going to continue. You, I feel like whenever he's away from the Eagles, it just doesn't happen and he could prove me wrong, but. Um, yeah. I yeah so like hey, hey, Logan. Thanks for coming on, man. We're gonna we're gonna just let you go now. I'm already texting. Him uh, I knew I knew I'd get some yeah pushback no, on that one. But I'm just kidding. Right I, up I, there. 
I'm actually uh, I'm sorry. This is Justin Trees, and I'm the Jags fan here. And um, I figured. I'm actually, I figured. I figured as much, right? I'm actually totally with you. When we did it, we we all picked the Colts here, and I actually, I honestly think the Jags take fourth in the in the division. So I'm with you. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, hey, you're setting the bar low, so they'll exceed your expectations. You'll be happy. I'm, I'm used to that line. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we took fourth in the division for like 15 years straight, so I'm just used to it. <laughs> That's right. That's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it is sad. It's sad. Um, the AFC West is a toss. I, the Chiefs. Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with the Chargers, Chiefs. I don't so. think my home is going to be able to do what he did last year because you know, that was just an insane season. But even with that, you know, the offense is still super talented. Um, the Chargers, they're so enigmatic. You just never know really what you're going to get with them. And I do feel like they have a good defense, though, which really helps out. And then having Melvin Gordon and Phillip Rivers, you know, you, you can't really count them out. It could be a toss-up. It could just come down to injuries. Um, you know, who, who really knows what can happen on that front. Um, so NFC, NFC West, I think the Rams, even with Seattle, you know, they're, they're always solid. Um, San Francisco getting Garoppolo back, but I still think the Rams are the, the powerhouse of that division. NFC South, again, maybe I'm just copping out here going by all last season's favorites. And I know there's a huge turnover every year from, you know, there's always a team that goes from last to first and there's some surprises, but I still think the state's should be favored in the NFC South. Uh, NFC East, <coughs> now, I want to say the Eagles, you know, Carson Wentz, if he can come back and fully healthy and return to that, um, you know, form that he had just a couple years ago, I think that could go a long ways. And now the NFC North, I left this one for last. <laughs> you know, I, I really would like to say the Lions <laughs> would, would be in first, but I it's a tough division. So you're going to say Minnesota. <laughs> Screw it. I'm going with the Lions. I don't care. Let's do it. Lugs. It's hard to be realistic yeah. sometimes. I know. Peer pressure. <laughs> I'm going with the Lions, but I'm going to say that the Vikings and uh, and the Bears. I I could see the Bears having kind of a fallback <laughs> year, and the Vikings they underwhelmed last year, but I think they could they could turn it around quick gonna happen hey that's just staying true to your pride man i love it <laughs> tree said last week the nfc south is in his opinion the most difficult division in the league i feel like every year it's the nfc north it's the combination of our ineptitude and then also the packers bears vikings i guess you could debate it all day but uh if we can get that nfc north i'm gonna say it started the night of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Started right here. Yeah, I mean, every division's pretty – outside of the AFC East, you know, and the, the Patriots and it's just everyone else. I, I feel like, yeah, every year that most divisions are pretty good and there's some natural up and downs of each division. But, yeah, the NFC North last year was – it was tough. And the Packers, even with Aaron Rodgers having a down year, you just can never count them out. And Aaron Rodgers wins – when healthy, like last year was the first time I think he had ever uh, the, not won 10 games if Aaron Rodgers was healthy the whole season. So you, you really can't count them out, and both the Vikings and the Bears. Um, outside, I mean, the quarterback position for both of them are, you know, they're, they're a little iffy. 
and but the rest of the team is solid. So if, if Cousins or Trubisky can step up and play really well, both those teams could be scary. Yeah, I totally agree with you. What's what's your thoughts on uh, the news coming out that uh, Bears and Packers are starting off the season on Thursday night? Yeah, I think it's a good game. Uh, you know, it's, I, it's tough to root against both teams. I, I mean, I feel like I hate the Packers maybe a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, That's fair. Because <laughs> um, the Bears, at least the Lions, outside of last year, like the previous five years, the Lions had the Bears numbers, so... Uh, the Lions have a long history of losing against the Packers, except for the last two years. The Lions are 4-0 against the Packers, so I'll gladly take that. But, again, it's just the Packers growing up, it's always just – I always felt like it was always the Packers going from Brett Favre, Darren Rodgers. It's just not fair. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel the same way with the Colts. I mean, going from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, I'm just like – what did all of us do to deserve this? Yeah. It just doesn't happen in the NFL. Like back-to-back yeah. quarterbacks of that caliber, the Lions, you know, Matt Stafford has been the best quarterback by far in the last 60 years of Lions football. So it's who like, did we, who did we have before Stafford? Kitna? Oh, we had just about everybody, you know, Zerlovsky, <sighs> Culpepper, Kitna. Um, Cole Pepper. You know, you can just keep going back. And, yeah. I remember Joey Harrington. Harrington like, I thought Harrington was going to be the savior. Like I really did. I thought he was going to be so good. But. Yep, yep. I was pretty young when they drafted him, and I, I, I guess I didn't really know better. And I just was like, oh, it's a high draft pick on a quarterback. Finally, the Lions have a quarterback, and you know, it just never really happened. And you know, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, especially. Joey Harrington's a nice enough guy, but it, it hurt. I don't know if you heard that recent audio of him basically saying that the Lions coaching staff was had no idea what they were doing when he was around. I think he was trying to place some blame elsewhere, but it was pretty hurtful what he said about the Lions coaching staff. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I read it. Right. I don't know uh, if Austin or Doug, if you guys did. If, if not, I'll send you the link. We don't need to talk about it on our podcast, man. It's just depressing. Yeah, it's just too depressing. <laughs> um, all right, Logan, I got another question. Uh, kind of going off of what you were talking about earlier, you were saying how you didn't think that Carrion Johnson may not be like the true workhorse and being able to carry it, you know, like how Marshawn Lynch did in Seattle. Um, so do you have anybody like in the draft or free agency that you kind of think would be a good complimentary player to him? Um, just naming a few guys. I know that Spencer Ware came in to visit last week. So maybe a Spencer Ware or in the draft, maybe like a Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think in free agency, the Lions brought in Spencer Ware for a visit and no contract was agreed upon. And But then shortly after the Lions, uh, signed Malcolm Brown to an offer sheet, and the Rams matched that contract. So the Lions are kind of back set looking in free agency, and I think Spencer Ware fits well what the Lions are looking for. I think the Lions would like to have, you know, running back behind Carrion, who might be a little bit more power-oriented or a little bit bigger of a back, but still, you know, has some pass-catching abilities, and that's Spencer Ware. I think he'd be a nice, um, reliable RB2, and carry on Johnson I I'm not saying he couldn't be a workhorse but again given his injury history he had a bunch of nagging injuries well at Auburn and then last year you saw when he started getting the majority of the carries he was injured and ended up out for the season so I just don't think it's wise I 
I think the skill and abilities there for him to really, you know, do everything, but he just, I, I wouldn't want to put that much pressure on him. So yeah, Spencer Ware, I like TJ Yeldon. I'm surprised. I haven't, I don't know if you guys have heard anything about him uh, visiting with teams, but he's kind of had a slow market it seems. And uh, he's a, another guy who's a little bit of everything, maybe not great at anything, but can still be maybe a decent RB2 trees. I don't know if you have uh, yeah, more so, information on that. What do you feel about him? Yeah. So I really like TJ Yeldon. Um, I was a big fan of him ever since he was on the Jags. Um, always was a supporter of wanting them to re-sign him again. Um, I just know that he he just ended very poorly. Um, I don't know if you ever, you saw it, but like the last the last game, the last two games actually the season, like he didn't get any touches. Um, one of them, he was a healthy scratch. And the last game of the season, him and Fournette both uh, basically just were like causing hissy fits on the sideline and I wouldn't go and talk to the coaching staff or anything. And so that's why he's not coming back to Jacksonville. And I'm sure that that's probably on a lot of uh, GM's minds, but you're right. He's, he's a good overall player. I mean, the amount of times that he got the Jags, like big plays when they needed them, especially in that 2017 year when they went to the AFC championship game. I mean, you go watch that Steelers game, like the dump off passes that they got, that he made for them. Like, it was unbelievable. So I think he's a solid player. I actually always kind of thought that he would go to San Francisco. I thought he'd fit well in Shanahan's offense. Obviously, they went after Tevin Coleman, who's the perfect fit for that offense. So it makes sense. But um, that's the type of player and position he, I think that he's going to be in. So I think um, Yeldon would be awesome in Detroit. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what are you guys thinking to... with Theo Riddick? Sorry, Logan. He's, he's interesting because – if the Lions bring in another running back that can catch the ball, because on Johnson, he's a great receiver. He's very dangerous at the, after the catch. And Theo Riddick, he has a high price tag. It's $4.5 million this year. And if they cut him, they could save, I, I want to say it's almost $4 million. So there isn't a huge cap hit to, to let him go. And he really didn't look like the Theo Riddick of old. He didn't make as many people miss. He had some drops, and that's always kind of been the name of his game is just being a really reliable receiver. And he he isn't a good – he's gotten better throughout his career, but he still isn't a true running threat. And he, he isn't super fast. He's, he'll make someone miss, but he always has these big juke moves that will juke out one guy. But when he's going through traffic, he's, he's wiggly. He's got some wiggle to him, but he just – I, I don't know if age is catching up with him and he has a big cap hit. So I could see the lions trying to trade him or move on from him. Just if they bring in another guy who is in a well rounded back. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the lions have cap space. So they're not hurting for cap space. So I don't know if that would factor in too much, but I could definitely see the lions trying to trade him at some point. Did you want me to get into a couple of uh, draft running backs? I know you mentioned, no, I was just wondering if there was some. I was just wondering if there was somebody that you're like, oh, I would love him like in mid rounds because obviously you they're not going to be taking somebody in round one or round two. But I was kind of just curious if you had maybe somebody you had your eye on. Yeah, I mean the running backs this year, they're pretty disappointing. Like David Montgomery and Devin Singletary, both guys that just looked like good football players, and then they did not test well at all athletically. And I know that's not huge at the running back. But I would, I would like a, our, the Lions' second running back to have, you know, some 
a real threat because, you know, outside of carry on Johnson last year, Zach Zenner, he's good, but we, we kind of know what Zach Zenner is. Um, I, I really like Daryl Henderson. I don't know how early he'll go, uh, especially considering that he's one of the running backs that looked, you know, he looked athletic on tape and it matched at the combine. Um, so I, I, he could go a little higher for maybe a running back needy team. I don't know if the Lions will pull the trigger because I, I could see the Lions drafting a running back mid-round if the value is right. Um, and unfortunately, another guy, I, I really liked Elijah Holyfield, and then he just had one of the worst combine performances, running like a 4.8 something, and then he had his pro day and he ran even worse and was running up closer to 4.9. So it's I, I have a feeling that, the, the good athletes at running back will probably go a little earlier than the Lions might be willing to take. And you're going to have those Montgomery's or Singletary's guys that might drop a little bit. I could see the Lions looking in the fourth round where the value would be there, but it, they could go a lot of different ways. And we kind of have to wait, wait and see as well how the free agency plays out. Cause I do think the Lions will add another running back. Yeah, absolutely. Just for the record, I am such a big fan of Miles Sanders out of Penn state. I think he's going to be mm-hmm. just like – I think he's just going to be an outstanding player in the NFL. So um, hopefully hopefully he doesn't last to – four. if you're looking at round four, hopefully the Jags take him in round three. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I like Sanders awesome. as well. And he's another guy who actually had a pretty good combine. Yeah. Again, that's not everything for running back because so much relies on vision. But if you want, you know, a, a true threat, you're, you need to be athletic. And it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sucker for athleticism sometimes. I'm with you. Logan, love the answers, man. So, hey, Logan, um, in regards to a player that has ever let you down, whether they're in the league or not anymore, just who's somebody that's disappointed you? Uh, I mean, really, there's a Lions player that has broken my heart. You know, growing up, I mentioned it earlier with Joey Harrington, when you're younger, and you don't really know what you're looking at, and you just have all these names, you know, especially those million years where Matt Millen was a horrible GM, but he, he always drafted these big-name guys, and he drafted a lot of receivers. Um, you know, Charles Rogers is definitely up there on the list. But I'm going to throw a little curveball here because I was a huge Amir Abdullah fan, and he was a guy that I liked a ton in the second round. Yes, he was smaller, but in college he would break a bunch of tackles, he was electric, and in his rookie season, you kind of saw that. And then even in the second season, before the Liz Frank injury, it just looked like he was going to be like a Devonta Freeman type almost, where uh, he makes people miss, but he's also powerful. And once that Liz Frank injury happened, you know, there's just not a good history with players and those injuries. Um, and I think it kind of showed with, with Abdullah just – he didn't look like he always had his footing under him when he was making cuts. He would trip over himself. I don't know, too. At, at some point, Amir Abdullah went vegan. And I don't know when exactly that happened. But for whatever reason, after that injury, not only did it seem like he lost a little bit of his juice, but he also seemed to get tackled so much easier than he ever used to. And for a guy I was so high on and I was so happy when we got him, he is really just falling off the map and he actually did just get recently signed by the Vikings um and I think there's a role for him but he's never going to be I think the player that I thought he was so it it kind of hurt me when I was talking him up so much 
when we drafted him. And then after that rookie year, we had those big flashy plays. Just, you know, his first career run was a touchdown and he just made Eric Weddle, you know, look stupid. He was on skate. I had such high hopes for him. So I know there's a long list of Lions players that I could say, but I'm going to go with Amir Abdullah. He, he's up there for sure. Treese, you remember we were watching that draft at your house. You were pretty excited for me being a Lions fan when we drafted him. And I remember the 16th season opener against the Colts. Riddick and Amir just had a great one-two punch. I remember Amir had a touchdown in that game that was just a, a really good, tricky uh, play. I loved watching him run it. Even last year, I was telling these guys, I still thought he had a spot on the team. But uh, yeah, for all the reasons you just listed, yeah, he's 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 been a letdown. One of many. For sure. <laughs> yeah, he's not the only one. And I will be honest with you, that definitely was uh, quite the curveball. He was definitely not a player I was expecting you to list. Um, but heading right into our next question here, what has been um, your most memorable game or moment as a football fan, as a Lions fan, if you, whether or not you're a college football fan, and uh, kind of leading off of that, why do you love football? What led you to the game of football and what's kept you here? Well, it's funny. With, I think I love football. I grew up in a football household where Sundays were just, on game days, were the best day ever. I didn't even, you know, I didn't know why. But, you know, it was, Sundays came around on the game day and, you know, the parents would let you go to the gas station, get some snacks for the game, go to friends' houses. Halftime, you'd play football. You'd watch the game, you know, and then afterwards play more fo- flag football or actually usually turn it into tackle. And just growing up, it was, that's, that was my highlight of the weekend. And once I got old enough to start understanding the game, you know, I started looking more into the finer details of things. And I really just appreciated, um, you know, like scouting and trying to understand the game better. And I think that's kind of molded me who I – who I am today. I'm very analytical. I love the data side of the football game. And it's just always been, I've always had that feeling of football, you know, whenever there's football and it just makes me, <laughs> makes me feel good inside. I, I don't know what it is. I truly don't. We feel you. Man. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty out, plenty of fans out there who can agree with what I'm saying. It's just something unique. And uh, as far as my most memorable moment, it was the 2011 season for the Lions. The Lions hadn't had a winning season since 2000. And so 2011, Matthew Stafford comes back. He's finally staying healthy. The Lions have their first Monday night game in over a decade. And at that Ford Field against the Bears, the Lions are 4-0. And they beat the Bears. Job at best, that was pretty much the last game of his career is before he ended up getting a concussion, but he had a huge run. I think I want to say it was 88 yards. Calvin Johnson had a huge catch. I had never heard Ford field so loud and the bears had a bunch of false start penalties. It was just an insane atmosphere. And the lions ended up being five and oh, the first time they're five and oh, since the fifties. And so this is something I had never experienced before as a fan. And <laughs> And just to feel that atmosphere, it felt like a playoff game. And I, I don't know. That's, it was just week five. That's the sad part about it. It was week five <laughs> of the season. But I, my, my hopes had never been higher. 
I'd never seen anything like this around a fan base, the Lions fan base. It was just, it was amazing. I think that game, if I'm not mistaken, Roy Williams went on to play with the Bears. I think he was on their roster at the time. And I remember after the game, he said, I've never heard this stadium that loud. And I remember that oh. uh, it was an inside zone that Job at Best took, and it it was 88 yards. You're right. Yep. Yeah. It's funny just how I, I don't know why I remember those little details, but that that game was it was it was I'd never heard Ford Field like that, and that's that's how you know <laughs> when something like that happens, and you you hear a stadium that is usually the games I'd been to in the previous 10 years, you know, half empty. You know, big plays would happen, and it was kind of like a half cheer because the Lions' season was usually down the drain at that point. It was just the emotions were so high. No, that was electric. I was watching in my basement. I can't wait to get to Fort Phil to go to a game. Uh, and hopefully when I do, there's good memories like that. Okay, let's do uh, sophomore standouts. So my first one is going to be uh, Christian Kirk. I... Uh, he was a four, the 47th overall pick out of Texas A&M last year. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's a wide receiver. Um, so he From Saguaro High School. I watched well, him play in high school quite a bit, actually, when I was living out in Arizona. Awesome. There you go. There's a stat I didn't know. But, um, yeah, so <laughs> um, I was high on him going into the draft. Um, I thought that he should have been drafted, honestly, a little bit before 47. Um, obviously, with just how that offense was ran last year, really no one was successful. I mean, you got, you got Fitzgerald, who's coming up at the end of his career. David Johnson just wasn't used effectively. Like, they weren't using him in the passing game until um, later on when they switched offensive coordinators. So I think that, you know, he could have two different seasons, right? If they stick with, if they stick with Rosen, I mean, his season could be somewhat similar to what he had this year, um, even with the new offense that they'll be running. But obviously with the assumption that Murray is going to be their quarterback, I think everything changes. Um, and I actually think he'd probably be, honestly, kind of around like what Calvin Ridley this, did this year. Um, I don't know Ridley's stats off of the top of my head, but I want to say it was around 70 catches, probably 900 yards. And I do know that he had 10 touchdowns. I do know that. And that's kind of what I would see um, see him as uh, Christian Kirk as. Um, another one for me is James Washington, um, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State. He was a 70th pick. With Antonio Brown gone, he's presumably taking over that number two spot while Juju moves over to that number one spot. Um, Washington was playing a lot more at the end of the year. Um, he's making some good plays just down the sideline and whatnot. He's a He's a good overall receiver. I mean, Oklahoma State, you, I mean, they they come up with good wide receivers. And um, I think that he'll end up having a very productive year um, as the number two guy. He's a guy that can be on the outside or in the slot, which I really like out of him. And then my third guy is going to be Ido Smith um, out of Southern Mississippi. He's a running back um, for the Falcons. He was pick uh, 126. Um, he did he did a pretty decent job last year with um, Freeman out. In the end, he only averaged about 3.5 yards per carry, which obviously isn't great. But 
I think that that'll improve as as he learns to play the running back position a little bit more, and he's good out of the backfield for catching passes and whatnot. And with Tevin Coleman gone, he's he's going to get that opportunity. And I mean, Freeman's been injured two years in a row, like with those knees. You don't really know how how long he's going to last. So Edo Smith might get a lot more look than what um, an average fan might think. Awesome. So Christian Kirk, James Washington, Edo Smith. So I went all Lions related, and the Lions didn't have a ton of uh, draft picks last year, but the, the picks they had all played very well. Uh, obviously, Carryon Johnson. I don't. We talked about him at length. We don't need to go too deep into that, but I I do think if he stays healthy in Daryl Bevel's offense, he's going to be a lot of fun. He's going to be one of the better backs in the league. Um, and then Tracy Walker was a guy who was a small school guy from the Raging Cajuns last year. The Lions had Glover Quinn, and they slowly brought Tracy Walker along. But when he played, he was very good, uh, not only in coverage, but also tackling. Um, didn't miss a tackle at all last year. And then you, you saw him hit some guys, too, which was it was nice to see. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. And then when he got targeted or people – quarterbacks pass towards him he always seemed to make a play and I he only got targeted directly six times I want to say last year and yes it's a very small sample size but the interception that he had against Cam Newton was a great play where he stole the ball from the receiver he should have had another uh, interception against Garoppolo that ended up getting called back but it was still a really nice play where he undercut the receiver for the running back I, I should say um he just He's going to have a bigger role this year with Glover Quinn not being there, and I'm expecting big things from him. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Deshaun Hand, uh, a guy the Lions traded this year's third-round pick for uh, to take him in the fourth round last year. And he did everything really well. He's super athletic. He was the number one uh, high school recruit when he went to Alabama, and he just played very well last year, just doing a little bit of everything. And uh, PFF, I thought it was a fun little stat that uh, his pass rushing grade was the highest pass rushing grade for any interior defensive lineman since the inception of pro football focus. And that includes Aaron Donald's rookie year where he tore it up. So uh, he's a guy who's a little bit unheralded right now. Uh, not a lot of people know about him, but I think he's definitely going to be on that national radar if he can follow up with another good season. Carry on Johnson, Deshaun Hand, Tracy Walker. Um, yeah, for mine. So I'm actually going to go with uh, two Browns and then one non-Cleveland Brown. But the one that I'm really excited to see how his second year is is Antonio Callaway. You know, you have Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham. They're definitely going to be the, the main priority for the defense to stop them. But Callaway's a burner. The thing that confused me with Callaway last year is he would be wide open and have a pass right to his hands and he'd drop it, but then he'd be in the red zone and make these insane contested catches where I'm like, well, why the hell can't you do that on everything? <laughs> but I'm really excited to see what he does as Odell and Jarvis are going to get the majority of the tension, attention. Um, and I'm excited to see what he does. Not that he's going to be the absolute best receiver but i am excited to see what he's worth because john dorsey of course took a risk on him um kind of got in some trouble 
and he's kind of changed and turned his life around. And uh, I think the Browns are a great fit for him. But I'm also I'm also excited to see how Denzel Ward does towards the end of the season last year. He's kind of suffering with some concussions, but I mean before that. The dude was insane. It was a lockdown corner, contested catches with the best of the receivers out there. He's really damn good. Uh, good enough to make the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Um, I'm excited to see how he does battling his concussion issues. But then also another player I'm really excited to see is Darius Geis. I mean, it's hard to say that it's his, it's his second year sophomore season when he didn't really get a rookie season. But that's just how it is. And I'm really I'm ready to see him just tear up. Um, any opposing defense that Washington faces. Antonio Callaway, Denzel Ward, Darius Geis. Doug, I got a question on that. Is Darius Geis going to play quarterback for him too? (laughs) (laughs) He might as well. Yeah, throw it, catch it. There you go, exactly. He'll be Wildcat. (laughs) I mean, he could if you wanted to. He'd probably do better than what they did previously. So heading into uh, my sophomore standouts here, I had uh, some guys – that I was really kind of wanting to go with for the Chiefs players, but I thought, you know what, I'll kind of branch out here. Um, so the first guy I got here is Josh Allen, um, Buffalo quarterback. I think last year, you know, he had a promising season. He was able to show his athleticism. Um, I think that showed very well with him hurdling a Vikings linebacker and then going in for the score. Um, he made a lot of plays with his feet, but I think this next year, um, with the additions they've made along the offensive line, I think that's somewhere they're going to go in the draft as well just to kind of help keep him protected. This was also something he dealt with in college, not having protection. So this might be the first time where he gets to sit back and be like, wow, this is this is kind of nice to be sitting back here like a Tom Brady, you know, just relax and see the field and throw the ball. So I think he'll do well with the new offensive line and then some new receivers. Um, I think that's going to be great for them to kind of grow together. You know, the receivers are older with the John Brown and the Cole Beasley. So I've seen John Brown play for a while. So I think him going to Buffalo is actually going to be a good fit for him. I think he'll do well there with Allen as well with a with a big arm. Hit him downfield if he can stay healthy through the season. This next guy I have here for my sophomore standouts is going to be Armani Watts. I did have to go with at least one Chiefs player. You have to. I think he's going to be a great fit next to Honey Badger. He went down last year with an injury, but he played well in Chiefs. You might actually remember the play that he made. Um, against the Jaguars there in the red zone, knocking the ball out of the tight end's hands, and then you know the Chiefs going to make an interception off a Boral's <laughs> fantastic throw off his offensive lineman's helmet. So uh, Armani Watts coming back <laughs> off the injury, <laughs> I think it's going to be a pretty good fit with the Chiefs. Um, he's got good range. He's not the best tackler, but I think that's definitely something he can work on moving forward. And then my last guy I have here, uh, maybe a surprise to some of you guys, but he's definitely going to come into this next season pissed off, mainly just due to the fact that he was drafted you know, 10 last year, and then with the possibility of a new quarterback being drafted, number one, Josh Rosen here. I think he, wherever he lands, he's going to be so pissed. You know, we already know he plays with emotion. And then wherever he lands, like I said, he's just going to go out and just play. Like he's going to be the guy. He's going to prove that he was the guy. And then we're going to be looking at Arizona as in the fact of what did you guys do? Kind of like Portland passing on Jordan, right? I'm not saying Rosen's going to be a Jordan type. But I think it's one of those types where he's going to come to this next season so pissed and with so much emotion that he's going to come out there and prove that he was worth um, the pick in the first round and that they made a mistake moving on from him. It's all good. Let's do the war room segment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I'm, what I'm thinking with this, so we'll do uh, like acting as a GM as though I've already narrowed my choice down to two prospects. Okay, our war room segment 
I'm here with Justin Trees, head coach. Our team is in need of a wide receiver number one. I've narrowed my choice down to Nkeel Harry and DK Metcalf. If I'm sending in the card right now, the pick is DK Metcalf. Do you have any objections, Trees? I do. So I think that'd be a mistake for our franchise. Um, I know that DK Metcalf is kind of the big shiny new toy that everybody's talking about. I know that you're seeing his combine numbers and you're thinking, okay, this is exactly what we're getting. We're getting Julio Jones, right? He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. But let's not get skewed by those numbers, right? Um, he is he is known for dropping passes. His awareness on the field, he's just – he has a really – if you go back and watch the film, go watch the Alabama game. Go watch the Arkansas game. There are so many times that – he starts coming back to the ball, and he just is running out of bounds. He has no awareness as to where he's on the field, and then he comes back in and thinks he can just catch the ball. He, it's it's almost as if he doesn't know the rules. Like let's let's not even talk. Like we're not even talking about the injuries. Like this guy's coming off a broken neck, and the year before that, a broken foot. I just don't think that he's going to be able to be our number one guy that you're wanting he's going to be he's going to be on the sidelines more often than not if you're looking at the film you're going to see that his his route tree is weak at, at Ole Miss all they have him do is go to the left side he if you go back and look he's on the left side 90 percent of the time on the far outside and you're either going to see a wide receiver screen or a fly route that that is that's what it consists of right now and Honestly, I don't even know if he's the best wide receiver on his college team. I, I mean, I think A.J. Brown's better. Like, let me let me kind of put into perspective of all the pros for Nikhil Harry. Go back and watch. He can run any route. He He's running everywhere. He's in the slot. He's outside. He's on the right side. He's on the left side. He's in the backfield. Like, as a, as a head coach, I can use this guy. I can use his versatility and put him wherever I need to. Does he? Yes, he doesn't run the four three speed. Hell, he doesn't even run the four four speed. He's in the four fives. But the way that he is able to separate using his body and using his hands at the last minute, that that equals out. That saves that time. Like that's as if he's running a four four for me. Uh, um, his ability to do a punt return. Like now we don't have to worry about special teams as much. Like right? we can put him back there. Um, blocking he is a solid blocker um i'm sorry metcalf he he can block at times but most of the time the way he distracts dbs is more like he just runs down the field and has them chase him rather than actually sitting there and blocking Nikhil harry his body control is amazing in the red zone like you can go back and watch the film against utah in the red zone and he's catching balls where he's having to twist his body left and right and he's He's able to control it and still possess the ball. It's it's great. I'm um, so happy that he's going to be out of the Pac-12. I'm just yeah, so happy. Absolutely. So, and again, I, I understand that he's not the burner with the downhill speed. Um, I understand that he does have that stress of, like, can he get off of press man-to-man coverage with the larger outside corners? I get that. But his body control and the way he can shift and everything, I, I think he's the better play. I honestly believe if we draft Nikhil Harry, we're getting a player very similar to Allen Robinson out of the Chicago Bears. Well, as GM, I would like to uh, 
I would like to have an argument here, but I'm pretty convinced. Anyone on my staff got anything to say here? I'm on the exact same boat as Treese, to be honest with you. DK drops passes, ugly routes. I personally think he's a workout warrior, but yeah, no, I'm with Treese. Logan, Austin, any uh, any input, or should I just change the name here on this card before we send it in? <laughs> I mean, Metcalf, yeah, you look at his measurables, and they're just insane. And I know those agility scores are somewhat concerning, but you've seen a lot of big receivers that have struggled with agility. Calvin Johnson actually didn't even do his agility. Uh, you know, the, the three-cone or the, the short shuttle. So I don't think that's too much of concern but you know I just wonder can you have an elite receiver what what's the ceiling is there a better ceiling with Metcalf uh, over Harry there absolutely is right the the ceiling yes like you can see what a Terrell Owens type player with Metcalf at times right I'm not saying he's Terrell Owens but you could see that like physicality and everything with him yes but for me I'm I'm the head coach. I want to be some I want to be sure I'm getting someone that's playing on the field. He's on the field, he's helping this team win games, and I'm not certain that Metcalf gets out of training camp. My training camps are difficult and who knows, he may come out down with another injury, just like he has the previous two years. So you don't seem to care about his speed or his strength um coming off the line of scrimmage. I mean he showed multiple times in his tape how he has the ability to catch a ball turn around, break a tackle or two, and continue to go. I think that's something this team needs. I think it's something we're missing. You mentioned he's a workout warrior. That's exactly what we need here in our locker room. Have you seen the way our receivers have been playing? I don't want a guy that came in and performed decent at the combine. I want a guy that lit it up. He's a big name, and that's exactly what we need here. So why do you want someone who uh, performed average with a guy that's here lighting it up and someone that can hear change the culture? You just said so yourself. He has the potential to be a Terrell Owens. Why, why don't you want that? Well, for me, I don't think that you mentioned average. I don't think that Kill Harry is average at all. I think you watch his film. He's the one making plays left and right. He's the one putting up 1,000-yard seasons when DK Metcalf has 1,400 yards total in his career. I mean, yes. Is there If we want to go, hey, we, boom or bust, we don't care. We want either this amazing guy or we're okay with having maybe the biggest bust uh, of our franchise. Sure, go I that I can't way. afford that. Well, I'm the head coach. I, I need somebody that I can count on to be on this team. We can be creative with him. We can move him all around. And I know that he. I know that DK is very physical and able to get off the line, but I believe in the ability that Nikhil Harry does on using his body control to be able to get open. I, I see him being able to beat press coverage. I see him being able to beat man-to-man in the NFL. All right. I'm making the decision right here at the D, uh, GM. We are selecting Kill Harry. <laughs> Doug, send the card in. Okay. Okay, Logan. Um, here we are. You know, we're up next here in the draft. Uh, we've got a big decision to make here. You know, our our need is clearly edge. What two guys do you have? Present them both to me and tell me which one you think is the best choice for this team moving forward. All right. So currently on the board, we're looking at either Montez Sweat or Brian Burns, and they both. Our athletic specimens, Montez Sweat breaking, breaking that 4-4-1, 40-yard dash, very impressive. The 40-yard dash isn't everything. I know 
He graded out and tested out very well uh, in all the athletic departments. But at the same time, you watch his film and you don't see quite that bend that the elite pass rushers have. There's a lot of different ways to win in the NFL at, at edge, but it's those guys who can get around the corner and sell if they're going to win with speed and they keep beating, beating guys with speed, they have counter moves. And Brian Burns is a guy who not only is only 20 years old, turns 21 shortly, but Montez Sweat is still almost two years older than him. So you're looking at developmental and you're kind of prospecting or you're projecting, I should say, what these guys can become. And Brian Burns, yes, he's undersized. It was a big knock on him, but he comes into the combine at 249, which is still very respectable for an edge rusher. Again, like I mentioned, he's still developing and still growing, and he has something you can't teach with Ben. Both these guys are athletic. They both can fly around, but Burns provides more versatility. You, you look at him at the combine, he's a guy who looks like a receiver when he's running drills. There's something unique there that you just can't teach, and that's hip fluidity and flexibility. And, yes, Montez Sweat looks looks the part, and so does Brian Burns. But you look at Burns, and I still feel like he's going to be the better projection and a guy who has more upside strictly due to the fact that he can bend the edge. So let me ask you this, Logan. With Brian Burns, one of the uh, biggest weaknesses that I've seen listed – so he gives away his position when he's setting the edge. Do you see that at all? That's something that can be coached up. Yes, that's a fair point. I mean, every guy has flaws, but it's something that can be coached. And going back to that point of just that natural bend, I don't think anyone in the class has a better bend than Brian Burns. And I know I didn't mention it too. I feel like Burns is also a, a little bit cleaner of a prospect. Montez Sweat was kicked off in Michigan State. As a freshman, uh, it never really came out exactly what happened, but it had something to do with weed. Montez Sweat has turned that around and then played it off well that he's learned and grown, but that's still something to consider. And also considering, too, he had, Montez Sweat has a heart condition. They still allowed him to participate at the combine, uh, and it's going to really depend on our doctors. Our doctors apparently have cleared them as far as, as, far as I've heard, but it's still something you have to – bring into consideration but there's going to be flaws with every prospect I think Burns flaws are more coachable and he's still developing where I feel like Sweat is a more finished product right now but you want to draft someone who has higher potential and that they're both similar players right now in this at this time and Burns still has room to grow okay uh, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I like, personally, I like Burns more based because of that flexibility. Um, we had Dalton Reisner on our show not too long ago, and he actually said that one of the hardest players he's ever played against was Montez Sweat, um, which I'm not going to knock on him at all for that because I don't deny it. Watching Montez, he's an amazing player. Burns, though, I feel like is a little bit more versatile. Um, can play whether it's uh, hand down or even in a stand-up form. So he'll be – his flexibility does it for me, to be honest with you, especially um, early in the draft. And, Logan, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I think those are some great points. Um, my head was kind of heading in that same direction as well. So I think I think that's where we'll go ahead and go. Thanks for your input. I do appreciate it. 
So let's go ahead and get Burns written down here, and then let's go ahead and select them. Send it in. Nice. Stamp it. Send it in. Stamp it. I freaking love it how we're acting like we're actually like sending this shit in. It's like, all right, send, send it, it in. in. I didn't know I had well, to yeah, we got the intent- props to this. That's right. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is actually the first time we've ever done the War Room segment. So We didn't tell you, Logan, you're drafting for the Lions tonight? <laughs> well, that's what I was envisioning in my mind, so... Yeah, no, to be honest with you, when I do mine, I'm envisioning the Browns, so. All right. It's my turn. Treese. Treese is your GM. Oh, great. What's up, buddy? What's <laughs> up, bitch? Um, I'm sorry, who are, your pl- who are your players? Justin Lane and Trayvon Mullen. Oh, my boy Mullen? Yeah, okay. dude. I actually picked this dude just for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Logan, Trayvon Mullen's like my cornerback two in the draft, so I really like Mullen. So, oh, all, right. all right. Doug, we need a cornerback. Our DBs are dog shit. Um, <laughs> what what are you looking at? Who, who, are the, who are your top guys you're looking at right now? Dude, I need someone to pair up with Denzel Ward. Um, I'm I'm down to the line of either Justin Lane or Trayvon Mullen. I'm Steve Wilkes in this situation. As the coach, as the defensive coordinator, um, I run a very zone-heavy scheme. Uh, our pick isn't until the second round. So, I mean, Byron Murphy's off the board. Greedy Williams is probably off the board. A whole bunch of other. Rocky Sin is probably off the board, my opinion. Uh, Justin Lane and Trayvon Mullen are the last two that I would consider. At this point, I'm either going, I'm probably going to go with Justin Lane. I really am. Uh, he's had a little bit more experience. He had more uh more balls thrown his way. I mean, Trayvon Mullen had 41 targets. Uh, Justin Lane literally had almost double that. Now, don't get me wrong. Trayvon Mullen, he's a little bit unpredictable to me. I don't really know too much whether or not he's going to be great at contesting the catch. I feel like there's a lot of unknown with Trayvon Mullen, especially in his zone-heavy scheme. I'm not very comfortable with it. Justin Lane, he needs work with zone-heavy. But he's dominant. He is great at combating the past, very fluid hips. Trayvon Mullen sometimes has issues reading the routes to where he's going to flip his hips too fast and the receiver's going to break on him, especially in hitch routes. Luckily, though, Trayvon Mullen has enough step to get back to him. Still, I don't want to take that risk. Justin Lane is quick, uh, great instincts, wonderful football IQ. I'm going Justin Lane. What? I sat here with you in this in this conference room and watched the college football playoffs. And <laughs> we sat and watched him, Trayvon Mullen, dominate Alabama and their amazing wide receivers that I keep hearing are number one type talents in next year's draft. So I'm, I'm just... Oh, don't get me wrong. Trayvon Mullen was Alabama's nightmare. I mean, he had a sack. He had two interceptions. Like, he was, he was all over the place. But... Throughout his career, it just didn't seem like he was consistent enough for me or enough to be able to base what I'd want from a corner with how little passes got thrown his way. But don't you think that um, maybe he just wasn't getting passes because everybody recognizes how good he actually is and maybe he hasn't gotten the fair opportunity if you're looking at stat-wise? He played 709 snaps compared to Justin's Lane's 869. Um, granted, that doesn't mean that he was 100% covering 
the receivers. Technically, his grade on PFF, which I always love to look at, it's just me though, uh, was on coverage-wise was about 20, 15 points lower um, in regards to being able to stay with receivers. Watching some of Trayvon Mullen's tape, he gets beat quite a bit. Uh, he's kind of like one of those corners where when the ball gets overthrown or the receiver just doesn't catch it, he waves his har- arms like it's an incomplete pass, yada, yada, when he really didn't do anything and the receiver just sucked or the quarterback m- missed through it. Um, in the red zone, too, Trayvon Mullen hasn't ever allowed a touchdown in his career. But the ball hardly got thrown his way in that time, not because he was just a shutdown corner, but because he always played on the opposite side to where the team was throwing it to. Okay, so for that, me, that makes sense. But, man, no touchdowns in his career. I, I would love it if, my, if our defense didn't allow any touchdowns. Could you make that happen? Hey, if I got Denzel Ward on one side and then Justin Lane on the other, I, I don't doubt that. Trayvon Mullen didn't allow uh, touchdowns in his career because I'll be honest with you at Clemson, if that D line's coming at you, you're not going to make any damn good throws. So Trayvon Mullen did have a lot of help with a D line to where it seemed like the quarterback had to panic to where like, Oh shit, where am I going to throw the ball? I got to get it out because I mean, you got Cleveland Farrell, you got Christian Wilkins coming in at you mock seven big dudes. I just want to get rid of the ball. Trayvon Mullen's job was made that much easier. Okay. All right, uh, gentlemen in the in the room, you guys got any other questions or concerns on this on this part? Send in the pick. That's it. <laughs> Writing it down. Justin Lane, like Michigan State cornerback. Done. I honestly thought you were just gonna do Trayvon Mullen just to be. I did too. Right. I was like, Doug, what are you smoking? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could I couldn't do it. I had, I had to give you him. I'm the GM. Or am I the GM and uh, Austin's the scout? Yep. All right, we got. GM Logan here, Austin, we need a quarterback. Drew Locke on the board or Dwayne Haskins. Who who we taking? Yeah, so uh I've done I've done quite a bit of research into this, you know, watched a lot of tape. And uh, I, I'm gonna be honest with you here, sir. I think I think our best bet is gonna go Drew Locke. I know that goes against a lot of what these mock drafts have been put out here, but Haskins was a one year starter and I think a lot of his success in those fifty touchdowns came out of scheme. Um, I think with a great supporting cast, he's able to do that. With Locke, you know, we got to see four years of it. We got to see him grow each single year. And I think that's a plus for him as well. His scheme is not as great as it is as Ohio State. You know, they don't produce the amount of talent at Mizzou like they do at Ohio State. Being a local guy, I can, I can admit that as well. With, with Locke, though, uh, you know, the strong arm is there. The thing that he lacked was his mobility, was his footwork keeping his feet underneath him when he throws and then making the right decision. I think each year that started to progress, you know, he started to see the field better. He started to understand defenses more. And in his senior year, I think it really showed, you know, his ability to make plays on his feet, escape the pocket, make off balance throws. So now that he is learning this past off season, kind of like what we see Josh Allen face last year with, you know, getting their feet correct to be more accurate and get the ball down the field, make a quicker decision. I think that's something we're going to see with Locke. So long-term, I think Locke is our decision over a guy that had one year where maybe a lot of his success was based off the scheme. For sure. Are you concerned at all with, you know, the touch or accuracy with Locke? I know those strong-arm quarterbacks, sometimes it takes some 
some time to develop that touch. Do you think uh, he's capable of, you know, getting some touch? I, being familiar with Matthew Stafford, uh, we saw that throughout his career where he had to kind of develop some touch. Is that something Locke can develop, you, you would say? Um, I think it's something that, you know, he he does have. He does understand that. And like you said, sir, that uh, he is going to need He's going to need to kind of develop that as the season goes on, maybe year two. I think this is a good situation for him to come in, get a year of experience, learn to develop that, learn the offensive system, get used to the speed of the game here at the next level. And then I think he can slide right in here and play and show us what he can do. Um, developing that touch, I think that's something that will be very beneficial for him sitting back a year, um, getting, like I said, getting used to the speed of the game. He did show a little bit of the ability to put some touch on the ball at Mizzou, but a lot of it was just forcing balls in there and trying to make something happen with not having much time in the pocket. So I think here he has the ability to do that and he will be able to develop that. All right. So, so basically you're telling me that Drew Locke has more potential higher ceiling than what we're looking at with Haskins. Today. Yes. All right. Well, okay, Austin. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you. Jim. I'm going to jump in here. So I got I got a whole bunch of questions here um, because I do a lot of research on these quarterbacks, and I actually have Haskins. If you were if you would have put him in last year's class, I would have had him as QB three, right behind uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. So I mean, Haskins is a big time player. He's got a big time arm. He came in during the combine. He was able to drop anything that we talked about. He 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 checked every single mark for us. Yes, he only had one year, right? But in 2017, he came in to that Michigan game. Biggest stage you could come in. Biggest stage. Came in and dominated Michigan. He he did not give them any bit of hope that they could come in and, and come back and win that game. Ohio this year at Ohio State, 50 touchdowns. Eight interceptions. You don't have to worry about him throwing into coverage and forcing things like Drew Locke. I mean, 70% completion. Like, that's exactly what we're looking for in a quarterback. Drew Locke in his career is, what, around 55% completion? And his footwork, it, it was a mess during his college days. I know that he's working on it with Jesse Palmer right now, and he's he's doing great, and he's doing everything that he needs to. But how certain are you that – that footwork's not going to just co- go back to the way it was the moment that he starts getting pressure. So I'll go ahead and answer this in the in the way that you start asking these questions here. At the Combine, I think he did just as well, if not better, than Haskins. I've been here to say this before. You know, he threw well. He made every throw, ran well. Everything that he was asked to do, he did extremely well. He did well at the Senior Bowl as well. So his sta- his stock has done nothing but rise since the season ended. And going here to Haskins, I think a lot of that was scheme-based. I mean, how many throws do we see kind of going maybe two, three yards up the field, thrown sideways, or just being scheme-based? And that game against Michigan that you say, how much of that was again was Ohio State's defense stepping up and stopping Michigan? How many turnovers did Michigan or did Ohio State's defense have? Can you say that's the same for Mizzou? What did Mizzou's defense do? Hardly anything. So you see that with Drew Locke here. Yes, his footwork is something that needs to be worked on, and he has worked on that. Now that he's been out of school, that's the only thing he has to do is play ball. All he has to do is focus on his footwork, focus on getting ready for the season, and then once he's there, all he's got to do is prove it. So I think this is mainly a fit of a scheme-based, where he was at school, the talent that was based around him, and then where they're going to translate to the NFL. All right, yeah, I mean, with Locke, 
I feel like in the in the big games, he kind of faltered under pressure a little bit. But you think in the NFL, he'll be able to change that. And I understand we are saying it's projection, and but just looking at it, like I I watched Drew Locke in the Alabama game, um, and Georgia. He had multiple turnovers. As turnovers. Is that going to be limited with, with better footwork and learning to develop touch? I just need to feel comfortable inside that his flaws are going to be able to be overcome. Because you don't always see that with quarterbacks. You know, sometimes their weaknesses in college are still their weaknesses in the pros. So it, it is a little risky. But if you feel confident, I mean, we, we can go with it. I just I need you to quell some, some of my concerns there. But I, I feel it, yeah. So we so we going with Locke or are we going with Haskins here? Well, you guys are my scouts. I'm just, I'm just the GM, so we'll uh, we'll listen to you. You're the quarterback guru here. We're going with Locke. Put it on the card. Send it in. Book it. Nice. Let's go. Cool. Cool, guys. Uh, you're way nicer than I am, Logan. I still would have went with Haskins. Yeah, I'm surprised you did it. I'm not gonna lie, you did that. I hated that. I, I did didn't not know if like I had the option to. I didn't. I didn't want to be a dick. Like, no, you nah. should have. Straight dick, dude. You should have. Yeah, I, I think this. I think moving forward, there's gonna be a lot of times that we start disagreeing. This, with this would be the first time we're like, yeah, sure, we're going with it. Yeah, I'm I, guess, I was I'm so surprised. Like, no, dude, lock sucks. I hate him. <laughs> I do too. I, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of us aren't the biggest lock fans, but I picked that I'll, and I was just like, oh man, why did I decide to do this? Because I went to the Senior Bowl with Bleacher Report and I interviewed him, and uh, it was like a one-on-one really? thing for Bleacher Report's Instagram. And I was like, hey, what's a a player, a pro player comparison for you? This dude straight up looks at me, waves his hair to the side, and goes, yeah, you know, I think this is a pretty big take, but I'd like to compare my game to Aaron Rodgers' just ability to make those off-balance throws. And I was like, dude, get out of here. Like, you are not Aaron Rodgers in one, like, not at all. <laughs> You're, get out of here with that yeah. shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, those player comps are always tough, uh, especially when I try to even do them, because it's like if you project a player or you say a player is, has similar traits to you know, an all-time great, you immediately expect put those expectations so high. And there's certain aspects of his game that maybe are like that, but you're not going to be Aaron Rodgers and throw those off-balance throws. Aaron Rodgers, the flick of the wrist, just running while he's thrown. It's just, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. But maybe he didn't put too much thought into it before ever. And I guess that's understandable. But, yeah, comparing yourself to Aaron Rodgers, that's <laughs> – I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on, Logan. Um, when we do our outro, we're going to be sure to like talk about your Twitter account and all the work that you do and where you do it and everything. So we'll give you a shout out there. So, But again, thank you for cool. coming on, man. It was really awesome to have you on and get your insight on a lot of Lion stuff specifically. So thanks again, dude. Cool. Thanks again, thanks, dude. Guys. Take care. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. So question for you guys now. After yep. that wonderful interview with Logan, I am not even going to try and pronounce his last name. I already forgot how to do it properly. But question for everybody, what player that no longer plays would thrive in today's game? For me, it is Percy Harvin. I think that the way that this game is played with all the jet sweeps and the 
little somehow their front their passes even though they're really handoffs and just the the short game and being able to just find find creases um total pass happy type offense um i just think percy harvin would fit in today's game very well Therese, that's a that's a good play right there i like that um for me personally i'm gonna go ahead and stick with a with a chiefs guy priest holmes um i think w- back in his day of playing it was just hand the ball off you know however many times a game, just run it up the middle, see how much you can get, and then, hey, let's do it again, and the third down will pass. In today's game, you know, it's a lot of passes to the running back out of the backfield. The, the running back even has their own routes, you know, going upfield. We saw that with Kareem Hunt for the Chiefs. So I think seeing Priest Holmes be able to do that, I think he would have shined even more because for a good two-year stretch, he was had solidified himself as one of the best running backs in the game. If you go back and just look at his stats in that two-year stretch that he had with the Chiefs, ungodly numbers right ungodly touchdowns yardage tackles broken so i think seeing him in today's game would be awesome and just the versatile the versatility that he had shown then and what it would be like today i like that um for me i'm going actually an oakland raider i mean yeah he's in the hall of fame but i feel like it would have been an even more insane career in today's game but i'm going with tim brown um he is an absolute stud beast a lot of people thought that he could have been um par for par with jerry rice but barring an injury his stats kind of went down a little bit still a freaking hall of famer so no knocking him there but with how much the receivers are protected um the speed of the game I think Tim Brown, honestly, would have been the best receiver in today's game if he played today. Oh, I yeah, did. I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Barry Sanders, his vision. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Barry Sanders. What was that, Treese? I was just saying that I that's not something I would have thought of because I guess I wasn't thinking of Hall of Fame players, so I really like that. Um, yeah, cool, guys. Um, I just want to also say, how much would you guys pay for a 30 for 30 of the 2007 Florida Gators? Um, a lot of money. I I think I would give up like half of my life savings. Like I I, I need not that much. But. I need dude. I, I'm 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 poor as fuck, dude. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, dude. Um, I need my two dollars. Sorry. Um, but like I I need to know what it was like in in Gainesville in that year. I mean, the personalities there are just amazing. It would. I feel like that would probably, if they did a 30 for 30 on it, that would be the most watched 30 for 30. And if they did a premiere for it, I would pay Zbuko amounts of cash just to go to it, to be there firsthand. Because that would be insane to watch. Absolutely. I think it would be great. Personally, I would like to watch that more than the... Uh, the doc that they're doing for the Chicago Bulls. Like, yeah, the one that they're that they're talking about a lot right now. That's not coming out until 2020. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. if they hyped up uh, 2007 uh, Florida though, and it didn't come out until 2030, dude, I'd be fine with it, just knowing that it would come out. But it would be the most anticipating thing I would have ever wanted to watch. Absolutely. All right, cool. So um, I got a question for you guys here, kind of our next question in the segment. Um, 
and this can be college or NFL. Do you guys have a head coach or a assistant coach or anything that you think could be the next up and coming good coach? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start this off for us. Um, Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I wouldn't say you know he's a name that not a lot of people know about because his name did come up for the Dolphins opening. Um, it was kind of talked about this past offseason with all the head coaching um, openings that there were. He didn't get his chance, but I think that'll work out for him and for the Chiefs, honestly, because I think he is part of the reason why Kansas City's offense was so well last year outside of Patrick Mahomes. You know, he brought that fire and that energy more than kind of what we saw in previous years. Instead of just trying to scheme everything, it was more like, hey, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it well. You know, I felt like we saw a lot more runs right down the middle. I felt like we were a lot more aggressive on a third and four, third and five. You know, we weren't so scared to run it instead of just that automatically becoming a passing down. And we converted a lot of those, and I think that goes to the enemy. So seeing him transition from a running backs coach to an offensive coordinator for one year, almost getting a head coaching job, now he's going to be an offensive coordinator for two years. I mean, the door is going to be wide open next year for him to wherever he wants, wherever job openings there are going to be if the Chiefs have another successful year with him as the OC. Um, and for me, it's Jeff Scott, the wide receiver and passing game coordinator for Clemson. Um, I think what he's doing there is amazing. Like, look at all these wide receivers. It, I mean, Clemson's wide receiver you at this point, right? Like, they just, they're turning and burning wide receivers. And what he's doing with all the young guys this year was amazing. Um, I'm absolutely shocked that he's not a head coach in college right now. Um, I think he's going to be within the next year or two. I like it. Now, really, it's that time where we talk about uh, freaking Gronk, man. He's done for now. That's what he says, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, called it a career on Saturday night um, via Instagram. Uh, an amazing career for him. Where do you guys have him ranked all time um, in the tight end position? Number three. Yep, number three behind Gonzalez and Gates. Okay, I have him number in that two. Order. I have I have Gonzalez one and Gronk two. Hmm. See, I have I think it's just unanimous. Tony Gonzalez is the greatest tight end, uh, but I have Kellen Winslow senior and then Gronk and then Antonio Gates. Okay. Gronk, in regards of the uniqueness of a tight end, I mean, an amazing receiving tight end, stellar blocking tight end. But I think what really made people fall in love with Gronk was just him, just his personality. Like he's one of the he, he's a freaking party animal, and, and it's a hard. successful party animal. You know, he's not like a Johnny Manziel or a guy who goes <laughs> to parties and then come and does awful. He'll go and party and then remember exactly what they talked about in the meeting, and then go do everything correctly on the field. Yeah, no, dude, he uh, he's a good dude. The only thing I like never liked that he did was when he, like, body-slammed that uh, the Bills' corner when he was already on the ground. Like, that that was kind of a douchebag thing to do. Other than that, I've loved everything about Gronk. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's actually kind of disappointing that he wasn't able to stay more healthy throughout his career. It would have been amazing to watch, like, him be healthy for a full— I mean, I know he had a nine-year career, but say he was healthy for six full years, right? And just to see what he would actually have done would have been amazing. Well, he only had like one one season of sixteen games, like played one full season, didn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. A, yep. 
Yeah, that's. But some of the, some of those seasons weren't just because of injury. It was because the Patriots had already locked a playoff spot and decided to sit them. But still, you know, my biggest thing is the best ability a player has is availability, right? And that's just not something he showcased too much. So that's why even these last couple of years, I've always ranked Kelsey ahead of him just because Kelsey's there every game making an improvement in a running game and in the passing game, clearly. But with Gronk, you know, a lot of it's just how do you stop a dude that big and that has the ability to just shut anyone off no matter how big or small you are. No. So, no wrong, so man. does that mean that you're with me on the whole Nikhil Harry over Matt Calf thing because of availability is the best? <laughs> now that we're out of the war segment, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the dude broke his freaking neck. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't want a guy that has a broken neck. What if it breaks again? Then what? We're out of a first round pick and our fan base is pissed and I'm probably fired. Exactly. And I have a guy with a broken neck on my hands. Like, oops, my yeah. bad. Didn't see oh. it happen in college. Psych. Yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Football. We're very lucky to have Logan Lamarandir here with us today to talk all things Lions and really just all things football. You can find him on Twitter at LLamarandir and also at Lion Lowdown. He's the editor-in-chief and a writer for them, so be sure to check them out. In other news for us here at Talking Football, we have some merch. We have t-shirts. If you want one, just DM us on Twitter. Our handle is at Talkin underscore football. Give us a follow. Let us know what your size is, where you want it shipped. We'll get it to you as soon as possible. On our next episode, we'll be talking more about the bet that's going between Austin and Treese, as well as a full first-round mock draft. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe, leave a review, share us on whatever platform that you're listening on. Uh, Be much appreciated, and we're very grateful that you're here listening to us. Have a wonderful day.